Hello, and welcome to the Church on the Hill podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to join us live this Sunday at 500 Sands Drive in San Jose, California. Visit churchonthehill.com for service times and directions, and also to learn more about connecting, growing, and serving at Church on the Hill. Now let's join lead pastor Scott Simarok as he teaches at Church on the Hill. Today, we're going to wrap up this series that we've called Promises, Proverbs, and Platitudes. And every week, I'm giving you each of those, right? We're going to give you a platitude, a proverb, and a promise. Here's the platitude. Remember, these are kind of worthless, kind of spiritual sayings. When you're making a decision about what you should do, something that impacts your future, here's a platitude that some people quote. To thine own self be true. It's not in the Bible. It's actually William Shakespeare. But what that means is when I make a decision, I just got to be true to me. I just got to be me. But what we often mean by that is I have to make a decision that's going to be in my best interest, which actually goes against a lot of what the Bible speaks about. Let me give you a proverb real quick, not from the book of Proverbs, but from the book of Jeremiah. And you're going to know this verse. If you have parents who grew up in the church, I guarantee that somewhere in their house, they hung this verse on the wall. I don't know what this says about my parents, but my parents had a plaque of this and they still have it in their house. But the plaque of this verse hung in my bathroom. I don't know what that says about me. Here's the verse, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Um, when do people pray this prayer? I mean, when, when do people take this and go, no, 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 this is not just truth. This is not just wisdom. This is a promise from God that he has a hope for me, a future, plans to prosper me. You know when they do it? They, they always quote this. They claim this promise when people are hurting, when they're lonely, when they're in trouble, and when they're discontent in their situation, don't they? If this verse has ever meant something to you, it wasn't at a grand celebration. It was in a really trying time. And by the way, how soon do we want God to answer that prayer and that promise? Yesterday, don't we? We want the better future now. So you know who loves this verse? Every college graduate, because they're planning that verse is actually going to give them a job in the near future. You know who loves this verse? Every married person who's struggling in their marriage. Every patient who's sitting in a doctor's office. Every student who just went back to high school and is hoping that their good future holds a homecoming date. Right? Dear God, I know that you know the plans that you have for me. Plans to prosper me with a date for homecoming. Come on, we quote this thing all the time. Every employee who is eyeing a promotion... We want to quote this, and we want to claim this. Oh, this is God's good future for me. So here's the question. Should we claim Jeremiah 29 11 as a promise for us? Will claiming the promise actually produce anything good, good results for us? And by good, I mean, will it take us out of a little less pain and a little more comfort? Because that's what we're really looking for, right? Um, 
I kind of put this under the category of a proverb, like a truth or a wisdom saying, but it actually is a promise from God. But what kind of promise? And here's what I know about you. Man, we've been studying the Bible for so long at this church. I know that you're good students of the Bible, right? So you're going to ask the question, like, what's the context, right? So open your Bibles. Go to Jeremiah 29. But instead of going right to 29, I want you to back up a couple chapters to uh, chapter 26. We're going to look at the history here. Here's the history of it. Let me summarize it for you. God provided the Israelites the promised land. And when they moved into the neighborhood, Israel also adopted all of the pagan religions. Essentially, they said this. Here's the history, right? The history is this. Thank you, God, for this gift of this land. We'll take it from here. God, thanks thanks for this gift. You gave us just an amazing gift. And you know what? We got this. We'll take it from here. We will be in charge. They wanted the promised land, but they actually rejected the promised giver. So Jeremiah, this prophet, he, he's this prophet of God that sends a warning to the people. And uh, he tells them, listen, if you don't change, God will take the land back away from you. Jeremiah 26. Are you there? Jeremiah 26, verse 7. This is how the people responded when he went to them and said, hey, just be aware. God's going to take the land back. It says, the priests and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speak these words in the house of the Lord. Jeremiah's warning. But as soon as Jeremiah had finished telling all the people everything the Lord had commanded him to say, the priests, the prophets, and all the people seized him and said, you must die. Being a prophet in the Old Testament was rough business. They didn't want to hear it. And so he warned him again. He said, listen, there's a nation that's coming from the north. He was referring to this nation of Babylon. And he said this, they're going to show up on your doorstep and they're going to whoop you. He used some more eloquent language than that, but essentially that's what happened. Israel is conquered and they're captured and they're taken away to Babylon. And while they're there, Jeremiah's message comes to them. And if you go back to chapter 29, go back to 29 where this promise, Jeremiah 29, 11, is found. Here's the context of the story. Jeremiah gave the Israelites, these exiled Israelites, now in Babylon being conquered, these instructions. Let me summarize it with this. Get comfy. You're going to be here for 70 years. These are the words he actually spoke. 29 verse 4. Look in your Bibles. 29 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Here's my message. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city. That's so weird. Pray for and seek the the, the peace and the prosperity of Babylon to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Summary of his message, you're going to be there for a while. Specifically, you're going to be there for 70 years. And you might have thought this, you know what, we'll get different jobs when we go back home. We're actually going to get married when we move back into Jerusalem. We're actually going to start having kids. We'll plan our good future when God allows us to return home because they thought that God was going to let them return home within just a couple years. You know why they thought it was just a couple years? There's this guy named Hananiah. And there's this conflict. This is part of the context of this, this conflict. Hananiah was a false prophet with false promises. 
I'm going to tell you this because I think there's false promises in, amongst God's people in the church today. His false promise was this. He says this, you're going to be back home in two years. You're going to be from Babylon back to Jerusalem in two years. Um, so here's Jeremiah's response to him. If you flip back just a, a chapter to chapter 28, verse 15, it says this. Then the prophet Jeremiah said to Hananiah, the prophet, listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, yet you've persuaded this nation to trust in lies. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I'm about to remove you from the face of the earth. And this very year, you're going to die because you've preached rebellion against the Lord. And in the seventh month of that same year, Hananiah the prophet died. He gone. And they're still in Babylon. The result was this. Are you ready? God's good promise, still 70 years in the future. I know no one's excited about hearing that. Like, hey, listen, I've prayed and I feel like God gave me this promise. Like, how encouraging would that be to be like, it's coming 70 years in the future. Hold on. Yeah, most of you ain't going to be here. <laughs> right? Can you imagine being the one in Babylon and be like, oh, 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 wait, wait. These promises weren't for individuals. This is for a nation. And he's saying, I'm going to actually restore my nation. I'm going to take care of you. But you know what? It's going to be a long time in the future. And this promise was actually to a nation. So are you ready for the promise? Here it is. Jeremiah 29, 11. But instead of starting in verse 11, we always skip verse 10. Look what verse 10 says. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you. And not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile." So when you read Jeremiah 29, 11 on the plaque on your bathroom wall, I want you to think 70 years. Question, are you sure you want to claim Jeremiah 29, 11 is your promise from God? Should we quote it and should we claim it? Let me give you three quick problems. They're in your notes. Here it is. The problem with just saying, you know what, I'm just going to believe in Jeremiah 29, 11, and there's going to be good things for me. Here's the first problem. We want to believe our way out of situations that we behaved ourselves into. I'm going to read that again because nobody said amen because it's like pretty convicting. It's like, really? That, that's not encouraging. We want to believe our way out of situations that we behaved ourselves into. Now, be super clear about this. There's some things that were not your fault. Cancer, unemployment, a broken relationship aren't always your fault, right? I mean, sometimes how we live can bring cancer on. Sometimes how we behave can bring unemployment on. Sometimes how we behave can bring a broken relationship on. But I want us to check ourselves for just a minute. When we read that and we get all hopeful that God is going to intervene and save us, from a problem or a situation that we behaved ourselves into. What if what he wants for us 
is to change us. To say, hey, you got into that debt through behavior. And now you're trying to claim a promise and believe your way out. That God, he owns everything. And he can solve this in an instant. I'm going to claim that promise. What if what he wants for you is to change some habits and behaviors in yourself so you might actually reflect more of the glory of God and the justice of God? What if he wants to teach you some relationship skills so that the next relationship you have, you don't blow up? Are are you with me? Sometimes we want to just believe our way out of a situation instead of learning what God has for us in the midst of trying situations. Problem number two is this. We want the promise on our timeline and our terms. God, that good future that you have for us, I want it now. And and deep down inside, we know that it would be in our best interest if we just had that promise now. Not only that, but God, what you mean by good, I have some suggestions for you. <laughs> I want that relationship now. I want that raise now. I want, I want that, that better job now. I want that better house now. I, I, you understand what I'm saying? We quote this verse, but all of a sudden we're putting our terms and our timelines. Third problem with this is this. We want the promise actually more than we want the promise giver. And I think it's the biggest problem of all. God brought them into the promised land, and they said this, thanks, God, I'll take it from here. See, God brought them into a land that was good, but the neighborhood was bad. <laughs> the neighborhood was bad because it was filled with all these pagan religions, and they just, Israelites just assimilated into it. And God warned them, listen, don't do that. Follow me and follow my ways, you can trust me. And the people said, thanks for the land, I'll take it from here. Okay, this is going to be one of those messages. Um, I'm kind of going to ask for your permission. May I gently, but maybe bluntly, call us all out, myself included, on how we do this. God, thanks for this, but I'll take it from here. Thanks for giving me permission. You've been praying for Mr. Wright or Miss Wright. And God has brought that person into your life, and you said, thanks, God. I'll take it from here. I know you have some standards about how you date and how you honor and how you respect. And I know that God has created sex inside the confines of marriage. But God, listen, listen, listen. I'll take it from here. And you've taken that relationship that you believe God has brought and you've run it by your own standards. See, we want the promise. But do we really want the way of the promise giver? We prayed for a spouse. God, would you give me a spouse? And he did. And you're like, thanks, God. I'll take it from here. And instead of growing a marriage that is based off of the word of God and prayer together and having spiritual conversations or being a part of a larger Christian community, you're isolated and you don't pray together and you don't have those kind of conversations because you've said essentially, God, I'll take it from here. I wanted the promise of a spouse, but I didn't want the way of the promise giver. You've been praying for a job and God brought one your way and you said, thanks, God, I'll take it from here. Because I I know that, God, what you say is you own everything. Everything that I have actually belongs to you. It doesn't even belong to me. Like my whole life is yours. And generously, God, you give me 100% of that income and you just tell me, trust me with 10% of it by giving it back. Thanks for the job, God. I'll take it from here. 
Because we want the promise and we want the blessing, but we don't want the promise giver. We get a job and God gave it to us and we're like, oh, that's so good. But you know what, God? Thank you. I'll take it from here because I'm going to write reports the same way everyone else does. I know they fudge on the numbers. It's just how it goes. And at my job, I'm just going to treat everybody else like, like everybody else does. I'm just going to be like everybody else. I will be nice to those who could move my career along. And I'm just going to kind of disregard or ignore, not be mean to, but just disregard those that can't impact my career in a positive way. Dear God, would you just give us kids? Would you just give us kids? And he did. Yeah, and then there's prayer from that point on, right? But can I ask you this? Have you said, hey, God, thanks for the kids. We'll take it from here. And you taught them how to play soccer. You taught them how to do STEM, science, technology, and everything else. And you taught them how to get into college. But has there been any spiritual training? Did you just say, hey, God, we'll take it from here. You don't pray together with those kids. You don't really raise them up to really know who Christ is. It's like, well, they're going to decide for themselves. Really? That is not in the scripture at all. Do we want the promises and the blessings of God, or do we actually want the way of the promise giver, and do we want the promise giver himself? Question, should we quote Jeremiah 29, 11 as a promise from God, as for us? Here's my answer. Yes, we can claim that God knows our future, that he has a plan. Yes, we can claim that his plan will not harm us, but it's, it's a plan to help us. Yes, we can claim that he's not going to give us He's not going to, he will give us hope and he's going to give us a future. I think, yes, we can claim that when we call on him, that he'll listen, that we can claim that when he, when we seek him with all of our heart, that we'll find him. Yes, we can claim that he has a promised land for us in eternity. That's the New Testament caveat to that. But no, we can't claim that promise on our terms and our timeline. If we want to claim Jeremiah 29, 11 for our promise, here it is, 70 years in the future. So, let me ask this question. Why do we seek God's promises? I'm going to run through these really, really fast. I, I think we think that a promise means our troubles are about to turn into immediate victories, don't we? God, I got this problem. I'm just, I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to try to find a promise in there. You run across Jeremiah 29, 11, and we're anticipating that the problem is going to turn to a victory almost overnight. Okay, God, I'll give you a week. Number two, I think it gives us a false sense of control about our future. I know we state like, hey, God, it's your plan. I know that, you know, you're going to do this, but I'm claiming this as a promise. It's almost as a way of controlling God. Three, I think we got, want God to agree with us about what we think is good for us. Number four, we think it means that we'll have a more comfortable or successful life. I don't know. Can I just ask you this? Are you in a pickle? <laughs> Maybe that's too light for what's going on in your world. Are you agonizing over something? I can imagine that those in Babylon, they weren't just having a little bad day. They were agonizing over being in exile and captivity. Do you want a simple promise that gives you hope for a better future? Or do you want the promise giver to walk with you and lead you? So now that we are all thoroughly afraid to claim any promise in the Bible right now, 
What do we do with the promises of God? Can I give you four things and we'll wrap this up with this? The first is this. If we're going to talk about reading the Bible and trying to find these promises of God, the first is this. Focus on what he's already revealed instead of what he hasn't. What has God already shown you? Let me give you a couple verses. Justify this. Micah 6, 8. God has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you. So this is what God's already shown you. Here it is. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. Theologians uh, call this God's revealed will versus his specific will. I know we're not asking the question, God, what's your revealed will? Because we know it. We read it in the Bible. We're asking things like, God, what's the specific thing you want for me? Why would he show you the specific will that he has for your life if we're not actually willing to obey him in his already revealed will? What does he want for you? He wants you to act with justice. Are you committed to that? He wants you to love mercy, so treat people with mercy. And he wants you to walk humbly with him. Instead of just trying to extract blessings from him. There's a New Testament equivalent to this. It's in Romans 12. It says there this, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, here it is, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. So do things with your body that are actually holy and pleasing to God. Live according to his ways. This is your true and proper worship. Verse two, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So put the word of God in here. Think about who God is. Fill it so much with this that God, you're allowing him to transform you. And then it says this, then, and if, you, if you've got a paper Bible, you've got a pencil, underline the word then, because this is an if-then kind of clause. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What if I told you, you can know God's will for your life? Who wouldn't want to know that? He's like, here it is. It's an if-then. Here's, here's where you start. Off your body. God, whatever I have, whatever I am, whatever I do, whatever I say, I'm going I'm to live to the point of sacrifice by following you. And I'm going to do this. I'm going I'm to put so much information and try and live this out. I'm going to put your word in my head so that you will transform my heart. You don't transform yourself. God does. But then there's the then, Right? If we want to know the will of God, he's like, are you willing to do the first two things or do you just want the promises of God and not the promise giver? Not conforming to the pattern of this world just seems, it's simple. We just don't live like everybody else. Just because everybody else is doing it doesn't mean we live that way. We live according to God's will. We actually live to the point of sacrifice. And I know, man, that word sacrifice, it seems so first century. It seems so barbaric. A sacrifice. Listen, pastor, man, I just don't like reading. I can't tell you how many people have told me that. I I just don't like reading. So you talk about reading the Bible all the time. I'm a little over it. No one goes that far. (laughs) Off your bodies is a living sacrifice. I just don't like reading. I just don't know how to read the Bible. I just don't like praying. I'm just not sure. I mean, who really likes sacrifice anyways? I mean, but the beginning of this verse is let's be changed. Let's follow God's ways. And then you'll be able to know what God wants for you and from you. The second part is this. 
Practice contentment in whatever circumstances God has you. You want to know and live out the promises of God? First, be content. And a couple of verses on this. This is amazing. In 1 Timothy 6, it says, but godliness with contentment. You want to live a holy life? You could live a holy, greedy life, I think is what that's saying. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world and we take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich, and, and I don't think it's just a money thing. I mean, those who just want to be rich in blessings, rich in the promises of God, they just want more and more and more. They fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, eager for more, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Contentment. You know how to practice it? It's super simple. When you talk to God and you adjust your attitude, here it is, ready? It's just found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. My wife and I, uh, every morning, get our coffee, sit on the couch, wake up for a few moments, read a little something together uh, from God's Word or devotional, and, uh, and we pray together. When we pray, there's moments, well, we try to always just start with praise and thanks. You know what would be good enough? It would be good enough if the prayer just ended there that day. Or is giving God thanks just a warm-up to get his attention? Hey, God, I just want to get you warmed up to hear my prayers, and so I'm going to be thankful for here for just a little bit, just so that when I get to the next stuff, that really is what I want to talk about, because I got some things I need, okay? And so I just want to warm you up by giving you thanks. Now let's get into the real issue. I have some wants and needs, right? And I'm not trying to minimize. I mean, some of you, you're living with some painful stuff in your life. But in the midst of that, godliness, when you throw contentment with it, it's powerful to just go, God, thank you. Thank you so much for how you've provided. All right, so here it is. Four things. Practice, uh, practice contentment, but the first one, focus on what he's already revealed instead of what he hasn't. And you get to number three. God's word, here's what I believe, still speaks. So read it and heed it. You're in a bind. There's pain in your life. You're at a crossroads and you got to make a decision. I believe as you read this, the word of God speaks. You don't have the wisdom, then pray. Ask God. When we ask, he will give you the wisdom that you need. I believe his word still speaks today. When you read it, you will have a thought, an impression. Uh, can I be real honest with you? I, I don't hear voices when I read. Scott, this is what I want for your life. I, I don't hear that. But man, I can tell you, I have read the Bible at moments and I'm like, that's God's promise to me. And you know what I do with that too, if I'm really, really honest with you? God, I want this, this thing so bad that when I read that, I'm hearing a promise from you. But he, I tell God this. This is just me being very, very real with you. God, I want that so bad that I might be making up this promise. That if this isn't, I'll apologize later for it, but I'm going to keep praying this until you tell me to stop pr praying this. 
because I think God's word speaks. Here's why I believe that. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God, it's alive. It ain't dead. It's not a book. It's not black ink or red ink on a white page. It's alive and it's active. And it says it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. It's wildly alive. It's dangerously alive. So when you read it, expect God to speak to you. But when you read it, if you don't want to heed it, why would God speak to you? Here's what I think is really interesting. There's a scripture that says this. The written word of God is breathed from God into existence. It's the very breath of God. And then it says it's useful. I'm going to read it to you in just a moment. And I want you to pay attention to what it's useful for. All right? Here's what it says. All scriptures God breathed. He gave it to us. And it's useful for, here it is, ready? Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. It spells tractor. Just remember that. That's how I remember it. T-R, teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, righteousness. Right? You know what I wish it said? It was good for blessings. It was good for promises. Now, it doesn't mean that it's not, but when he writes about this, he says, this is the breath of God. This is the word of God for you. When you read it, God will speak to you so that he can teach you, rebuke you. No amens? Correct you and train you in righteousness so the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I just think it's odd that it's absent of, hey, read it so God can really bless you so that you can grab on to a promise. Let me go to the fourth and final thing. And I think it's the most important thing. What do we do with the promises of God? I think we should value the promise giver over the promises. That might sound super simple, but I I think it's hard to live out. You might not know this. Here it is. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but the vast majority of promises mentioned in the New Testament are actually about eternal life. It's about the life to come and about Jesus being the way. The second most promises mentioned are about God being with us today. Did you know that? God's like, I have a land for you in the end. The way to get there is my son. And by the way, here's my promise to you. I'm with you. What is talked about more than God's promises is actually this, prayer. God gives this incredible invitation that says, talk to me, because I'm with you. Talk to me, I'll, I'll hear you. God invites us into a relationship of trusting him and following him rather than trying to decipher his promises so you can claim them. Jesus gave this promise. Here it is, John 6. He said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. He's talking to some of these religious folks. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Jesus, he'll provide for you. Hungry, thirsty. You have a need? He's going to meet your need. Maybe not on your terms, on your timeline. 
But he gives you a promise that he's with you and he's going to help you. And then he gives you this promise. I will never drive you away because I know some of you have been through so much that you wonder, is God really with me? The size of your pain does not determine whether God's presence is there or not. He's already given us his word. I'm with you. I'll help you. But we just don't get to qualify how that, what that help looks like. I'm going to land on this right here and close. Peter, he makes this statement in 1 Peter 5. He says, humble yourselves, therefore under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he, he cares for you. To humbly walk with God and live under his mighty hand. See, I think sometimes we want a God that says, I got a plan and a future for you. It's right over there. There's the path. There's the road. And we want to think, thanks, God. I'll take it from here. Do you really want a God who points the way? Or don't you want a God that says, grab my hand, you and I together, we're going to boldly walk into your future. And I have good in store for you. There's going to be some painful things. There's going to be some teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness along the way. But I got you by the hand. I'm not just someone who points the way. I'm someone who walks before you. And I will be with you. You can cast all of your anxieties upon me because I care for you. And so my question this morning is this. Do you want the security of a promise that might last a season? Or do you want the promise giver who loves you, cares for you, takes you by the hand, and has good in store for you? I think that's the question. And I, I want to provide just a minute or two where you might bow your head and ask that real honestly of yourself. Do you want the seasonal promise from God? Or do you want the promise giver? Would you bow your heads for just a moment? I'm going to have our band come out. Bow your heads, close your eyes, and let's, let's ask this very honestly. God, I'm not sure what I want. God, sometimes I want the security of a promise for a season. Maybe that's your confession. Or can you honestly say, God, I, I want you more than anything. I want you, the one who loves me. I'm just inviting you to place a very, um, just raw honesty right now. If there's any correction that you need today, I want you to just talk in your own words to God about it right now. If you've been accepting his promises and blessings, but you've been rejecting his guidance, maybe it's decision time. Will you commit to a change of living according to his ways? I mean, you might have a big decision to make this afternoon. It could be the adjusting of a relationship. It could be returning money. It could be asking for forgiveness from someone else. Sit in that for a moment.
Let me speak to a different group. If you're not a Christian, and maybe you're not a Christian because you went through something painful and you're like, God was not there for me. But now you know, in the midst of your pain, God is with you and he wants to take you by the hand and he wants you to cast all of your anxiety, your pain and your cares on him because he loves you and wants relationship with you. You might be at a crossroads to make a decision right now to accept his forgiveness and begin a relationship with him because more than the promises of God, you need the presence of God. If that's you, can I just say, use your own words. I think it's more important that your words are from the heart than you, than you really like repeat my words. Tell God you want to start a relationship with him. Invite him into your life. God, forgive me. Pray that. So let's all pray together wherever he has you today. God, I'm just going to pray my own prayer and I just got to admit that I crave your blessings and promises more than I crave my own obedience. And so your word, it teaches me. There's moments where it rebukes me. But I believe it's leading me to more righteous life. But the truth is, God, I'm never going to live my way into a righteousness. I know that. My righteousness and my innocence is only because of your son on the cross. So God, I just ask for your forgiveness and grace on my life. Jesus, I believe that you have died and rose again. And in that, you paid for my debt and you paid for the debt of everyone in this room. But God, I also, I want to say this to you, that I believe that my best life is walking hand in hand with you. Where I follow your ways completely. So Father, here's what I want today. I want to commit myself to follow you. I know I'm not going to do it perfectly, but I thank you that your grace covers my mess-ups. But more than anything, Jesus, I just state this, more than your promises, I want you. I want your love, and I want to love you back. That's the Christian faith, Lord. And if there's people in this room that need to embrace that, maybe for the first time, lead them into it. And all God's people said.